Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit, the discernment of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. This week I was lurking a bit on social media as some priest friends were talking about the difficulty of fasting on Ash Wednesday. And for priests, the day can be pretty long if you're celebrating or preaching at multiple services. One colleague confessed on Twitter that he often ends his fast on Ash Wednesday as he stops at a burger place on the way home after the final service. And so he starts his Lent feeling guilty about a double cheeseburger. (laughs) Priests are just people after all, and I admired his candor about giving in to temptation. But then I also wondered, is a double cheeseburger what we mean by temptation? Does God care that much about a Big Mac? In the church writ large, I would argue we've talked about temptation too narrowly. If you started today not wanting to hear a sermon about temptation, I would understand. When I first opened these lessons, I didn't want to preach about temptation. But faced with the story of Eve and the serpent, and especially with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, I felt stuck. Then I wondered, what if we broadened our view? What if we let go of our assumptions about what Christians mean when they talk about temptation? What if we tried to reinterpret? We do that a fair bit around here. So today's sermon has a thesis. It's this. Scripture teaches that at the heart of all of our temptations is one single temptation, one great temptation, just one. It's this to be less than who we were created to be. Let me say that again. From the point of view of the Bible, there's really only one great temptation, to be less than who we are created to be. The story of Jesus' temptation will be my primary text this morning, but I will get back to even the serpent, don't worry. For now, let's meet Jesus in the desert. The devil tempts Jesus three times. In the version we read today from Matthew, first the devil tempts Jesus with food. The temptation is pretty basic. And Jesus turns the old tempter down. Before we go any further, quick aside, in case one or two folks need to hear this word, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, we've talked too narrowly in the church about temptation. That is definitely true around food. In Lent, folks who struggle with food need to be extra careful. If you struggle with food, if you struggle with body image, please do not allow Lent to complicate the work of feeding your body. Please don't. That aside, done, Jesus recenters the question of food. We're not fed only by bread, he quotes from Scripture. Notice both Jesus and the devil know their Bible. And the devil tends to use verses really narrowly, really specifically. Jesus responds with the broad themes. And Jesus knows the tempter is also a trickster. And so we aren't surprised when immediately after Jesus passes the first test, it's on to the second temptation. In the second temptation, Jesus is told that he should throw himself off the top of the temple. Surely God will save him. 
Again, he turns the devil down. And finally, the devil brings Jesus to the top of a high mountain. And the story in Matthew builds to this point. The story of the temple, a temptation, it crescendos to this question. Will Jesus accept the power to rule all the kingdoms of the world with their glory? Will Jesus accept that power from the devil? And we need to pause with that question because it's odd. It's an odd temptation. We on Easter morning will be in this church and we'll be singing about how Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Handel's Messiah, you say those two phrases like 65 times more if you count the differences between sopranos and altos and tenors. We believe that Jesus will take this job that the devil is offering. That's an odd thing. This morning we learned that Jesus won't turn from God to accept a kingship that our world would recognize. The kingdoms of the world and their glory. And power for Jesus is unrecognizable to the powers of the day. Remember, this is the Jesus who says that the greatest is the servant, the last shall be first. The Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas at Union Seminary, she says that this business of last being first, it's not about retribution. The first shall be last and the last shall be first is a statement of equity. When Jesus reigns, there is no way to distinguish. The first and the last, they come in together. Everyone comes in together. The devil is offering Jesus the same title, King of Kings. And Jesus can't accept the offer on the devil's terms. This is what we mean when we say that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but did not sin. Jesus refused to settle for the status quo. Jesus refused power on the terms it was offered. But it's tricky to see that distinction. The job title was the same. And this is why temptation is often a subtle question. Temptation is all about the subtleties, isn't it? It would be nice to think that our temptations would all come with a great big sign over them that says, sin this way lies. But remember, sin in the Bible is a term from archery. Sin means missing the bullseye. Even the greatest archers, they fire a little off target time and again. The great temptation to be less than who we are created to be Sometimes it feels like you're in the neighborhood. Sometimes it feels like just a small compromise. And don't we often make small compromises? Especially when we are afraid. We often fall into subtle temptation when we face uncertainty. We're facing some fearful news this week. We're facing uncertain times. I would tell you this is a time for that prayer, lead us not into temptation. The coronavirus dominated the news this week, but for all the stories, there's really not that much information, not useful information anyway. We're faced with a lot of speculation. Wall Street doesn't do well with uncertainty. And there are a lot of uncertainties about this virus. And so far, there seems to be only one thing about which everyone agrees. Wash your hands. I wish I could tell you I knew how this was all going to play out. I wish I could tell you that there was a vaccine was coming. 
I wish I could tell you whether or not to cancel your vacation. God hasn't given me those powers. I can tell you this. I think now is a time to ask central questions, identity questions, questions of vocation, of who we are called to be. Now is the time to ask, will we meet this moment? Will we be who God creates us to be? The temptation is always to be less. The temptation is to be smaller. The temptation is to pay attention only to the needs of my country, my city, my neighborhood, to ask, how will this virus affect me? Will we face this challenge with our full selves? Will we be like the people of faith who went before us in this city and around this country, who in response to the epidemics of the past, like cholera, they responded by building hospitals and health networks and serving the poor? Will we be our full selves, or will we settle for the temptation to be less? So far, friends, the news isn't good. Reports are coming in from Asian American communities across the country, businesses down in restaurants. Hateful language is on the rise. Folks are facing real stigma for a virus that happened to originate in central China. And the stigma isn't new. Part of what we have to face in this country are the sinful structures of racism and discrimination. When I call those structures sinful, I'm using that language theologically. Let me illustrate that by way of an example. It's an imperfect example, but this is where I've come to this week. Most of you know I grew up in a pretty evangelical suburb of Denver, and I remember pro-life groups that were proposing a particular bit of theology. They used to, it was a slogan, something a t-shirt, sometimes on signs, but they would propose this theology. They would say, maybe God had sent humanity a cure for cancer, and someone had chosen to terminate the pregnancy. Now, that question leads us down the path of asking, where does life begin? And I don't want to go too far down that road, because we may disagree, and because that's another sermon. But I thought about the theology at the heart of that question this week. I found myself coming back to it and asking questions like this. What if God intended to send us a brilliant disease specialist, but she was unable to finish college because of her family's medical debt? What if God sent us a brilliant diplomat who could have negotiated an international response to the health crisis? But her name was judged too hard to pronounce, and so she didn't get the interview. When I named one temptation in Scripture, I used the plural intentionally. The temptation is to be less than we are created to be. We won't be who we are created to be until we dismantle the structures of racism and discrimination based on gender, age, orientation, ability, you name it. If you missed Jeff Schulenberg's presentation this morning for Faith and the Sake of All, we'll put it online later. I, you really should, should take a look. The data in our city is stark on the history of discrimination. And it's sinful. Because God didn't just put individuals on the planet. Jesus didn't meet with folks one-to-one. -one. He didn't just do that. We believe in a God who invites us into community to grow, to laugh, to heal together. 
In uncertain times, we have a responsibility to ask, how will this impact my neighbor? How does a decision affect the most vulnerable? I was thinking about this week a lot, what would happen if we as a church have to face quarantines, if we get shut down day to day for a while. A number of our employees are paid by the hour. Some of that pay is dependent on rents that we receive from partners that we would miss if we had to close. Would I have to let staff go? Would we reduce hours? Our hourly workers really depend on that income. What would we as a church need to sacrifice for all of us to make it through a shutdown? I don't have the answers yet. And I'm going to need to talk with your vestry as the days develop. But these are the kind of questions I think we all need to be asking at this time. As we wonder, as we plan. How will we ensure we don't leave folks behind? How will we ensure that we all have a chance to be fully who we are created to be? One last reflection. I promised I would make my way back to Eve and the serpent. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would not be surprised if most of you in the room, when I first said the word temptation, went straight to sex. As I said in the beginning, we've spoken really narrowly of temptation in the church. And we've talked about temptation too narrowly around sex as well. Again, that's a whole other sermon. The church needs to repent for the way we've talked about it. I blame a lot on St. Augustine. All of us have St. Augustine in our background as we read the story of Eve and the serpent. He told us that this story from Genesis was all about sex. Original sin, in his mind, was a sexually transmitted disease. And I would say... That teaching tells us more about who Augustine was than who God is. (laughs) Because this story isn't about sex any more than Lent is a season about hamburgers. Eve gets far more of the blame than she deserves. She isn't our sinful 32 times great-grandmother. Eve is an archetype. Adam is too. She and Adam, together, they represent all of our capacity to be convinced to settle for less, to give in to social pressure, to give in to fear. And the garden was a vision of human flourishing, a story of God's shalom, a story of our God-given capacity to live in full relationship with one another, with creation, with God. The story of the serpent, it's not a story about a choice made once which doomed us. It's a story of the choices we make again and again to settle for less than the dream God has for us. Countering temptation then requires discernment. To counter temptation means slowing down, means asking questions prayerfully. Who is God calling us to be? We need to gather not just hand sanitizer and face masks, We need to gather all of our spiritual resources. We need to be our fullest selves, our truest selves. In times like these, we can't afford to settle for less. Amen.